Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. So we're going to look at Psalm 68. It is a psalm what David wrote for the choir director. In other words, this would be put into the hymnal, we would call it, in our culture, so that they could share it at the service and they could sing this together. And this psalm is really rich. This is the psalm that Paul the Apostle will actually quote when he's writing to the church at Ephesus. I'm going to show you some of the things that are alluded to in the psalm. The first line of the psalm, Psalm 68, says, Let God arise, let his enemies be scattered, and let those that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melts before the fire, so let the wicked perish before God. But... Let the righteous be glad. Let them exult before God. Yes, let them rejoice with gladness. The righteous get to exult, like exceedingly leaping up and down for joy. Yay, God is great. He takes care of the righteous. But as for the wicked, he says, let those that hate God, let them flee. Let them flee before him. Like smoke that gets driven away or wax that melts before the fire. So will the wicked perish before God. Wickedness is not going to stand up to God's holiness. They're just going to be consumed by his pure holiness. The wicked will perish away. Now, why would they sing this at church? Temple is what it was in the Jewish culture. Does God have people that are not for him? And this is interesting because sometimes when people are against God, we take it as a personal affront, like they're against us. Or maybe they come against us because we're for God and they get in our face about it. But what we have to remember is, who are they really mad at? Not us. They're mad at him. Their struggle isn't with us. They have made God their enemy. And so this song says, let God arise and let him fight the battle. Let him scatter the enemies. Let him take care of those enemies that come against him. Now, yes, as his followers, we're going to get sometimes some of the heat against us because, well, we're just on the good side. And guys, we ought to know by now not to be ignorant that there is a spiritual battle that goes on between good and evil. And if you yoke yourself with the good, then let me tell you, the evil doesn't stand up and say, yay, standing ovation, good job, you're following God. The enemy says, oh, I want to wreck you now. But we're supposed to sing a song that says, let God arise. Let him scatter his enemies. Let him fight the battle. And this psalm, if you can just remember this part, this is the premise that carries through this whole of the psalm. And a whole bunch of different stories are alluded to in this psalm. Now, if you were raised in Jewish culture, you would have learned all these stories in their version of Sunday school. It's Shabbat school. It's a Saturday school that they had their worship on. And you would have gone to Shabbat school and you would have learned these different stories of the patriarchs, the great things God did to fight when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt and he parted the waters with Moses when he closed them back in and swallowed up the Egyptian army and all these different things would be like, oh yeah, we know that. Oh yeah, we know that. But this song, as you're singing it, God, you arise and let your enemies be scattered, starts to go through a whole bunch of different times that the Lord fought the battle. And some of these, uh, I notice in Christian American culture, We have a lot of Christians in America that they favor the New Testament only. Oh, we're New Testament Christians. We just read the New Testament. I don't get the Old Testament. I don't read that. And they miss out. Because 
the greatest commentary for the New Testament is not some outside book. It's the Old Testament. And the greatest commentary for the Old Testament is the New Testament. If you really want to see the true insight in the Spirit, start reading both. And you'll see that they complement and comment on one another and they explain more fully what the other one has to say. And so let me read you some of the stuff that the psalmist David says as he starts to sing this song for the choir director. He says, sing this one. Sing this song that says, God arise and fight his enemies. Verse 4, he says, sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song for him who rides through the deserts, whose name is the Lord, and exult before him. Just jump up and down before the Lord. By the way, these Jews will get Pentecostal, we would say. They're actually going to jump up and down and bring in the tambourines. And all of this is part of praise to God. Now, in verse 5, it says, A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. This is God, our Father. If you haven't picked up on this idea in the Psalms, how many times does, or in all of the Scripture, if you want to type in on your Google search, widow, in the Bible, the name widow or orphan, and see how many references there are to God being the champion for the widow and the orphan. And also, I'll tell you, in Deuteronomy, he'll also say, and for the alien, or the one who is a stranger in your land. Just because they're not from your town or they're from out of town, the Lord says, you don't get to treat them poorly. Or because they're poor, or they're widowed and they have little means, or an orphan, he says, don't pick on the poor. I tell you what, don't pick on the poor. Don't pick on the widows. Don't pick on the orphans. Because if you do, you know who you're going to get back fighting against you? The Lord God will fight against you. You want to have God on your side? Bless widows. Bless orphans. Bless the one that doesn't have the ability to get by on their own. Maybe they just moved to town. If you push those people down and you oppress them, God will take issue with you. When I read this, God, you fight the battles. When did God fight battles for widows and orphans? And Did he ever do that in the Jewish culture in the Old Testament? Do we have any stories about the widows? Oh yeah, we have some good ones. I can imagine they're singing this song that God, the father to the fatherless. God, the one who's the champion, the judge for the widows. That is God. In his holy habitation, he is looking out for them. In Deuteronomy, they were told if they passed through the field and they did the gathering of their crops. They weren't allowed to go a second time through to pick the grapes. After the first pass, they were to leave all of the, what we call the gleanings, the leftovers, for the poor to come through and the widows. Do you remember when Ruth, the Moabitess, she had her mother-in-law had lost her husband and she lost her husband and she said, well, I'm going to go with you. I'm not going to separate from you. Naomi. And she's like, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant in Hebrew. She yeah. says, call me Mara. Mara is bitter. Call me bitterness. I went out full with my husband, my sons, and their daughters, and I came back empty. So she goes with her, and then they get back to Israel, and she goes into this field, and this guy, Boaz, sees her and says, hey, guys, don't pick up every stalk. I should go through, leave a little handful of some of the sheaves here. She comes home, she's got this whole thing of beaten out wheat. She's like, and her mother-in-law says, where were you gleaning today? She said, oh, in the field of this Boaz. Oh, he's one of our relatives. You go back there. 
he's a good guy. And he even told me if I need a drink to come to the guys and see, he's looking out for you. She's a good Jewish woman. You make sure you go back. You stay with his servants. And she keeps coming back every night with a full amount, more than you would ever gather. Well, that was God's way of looking out after the widows, after the orphans, that they would be able to glean in the fields what was left behind after the first pass. Now, there's another one that comes to my mind is in 1 Kings 16. The prophet Elijah. Now, there's Elijah and Elisha. If you ever forget which one comes first, just think alphabetical order. Okay, Elisha was the first guy. Elijah, they both were endued with power from God to do mighty miracles. In fact, the best way I can tell you this story is to give you the backstory, Because this one really shows God fighting for the widows in a way that some people would not perceive unless you know the details. But if you look with me at 1 Kings chapter 16, at the end of the chapter, around verse 29, it says, Now there was Ahab, the son of Omri, who became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, the king of Judah. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria for 22 years. Now remember, this is when the kingdoms of Israel were split. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so he reigned for 22 years over the northern kingdom. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. 1 Kings 16.34 says, In his days, in Ahab's days, Hillel, the Bethelite, built Jericho. He rebuilt it. He laid its foundation with the loss of Abram, his firstborn. And he set up the gates with the loss of his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Joshua, the son of Nun. You say, what do you mean? Well, okay, I want to show you Joshua chapter 6. Verse 26. It's a really cool verse. In the book of Joshua, Joshua prophesies. And Joshua says, in Joshua 6, verse 26, he says these words. Cursed before the Lord is the man who rises up and builds this city, Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation. With the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in all the land. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before Ahab was king. This is before they ever had a king. This is before Saul, before David, before Solomon, before his sons. This is way before all this happened that Joshua prophesied. And what do we read here? Right here in the scripture. And it came to pass. So we turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 and we read, and then at this time, Elijah the Tishbite, who was one of the settlers of Gilead, he said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the book of Cherith. It's to the east of the Jordan there. It shall be that you shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook of Cherith, which is in the east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. Now, how many of you believe God could make birds fly in your breakfast and your dinner? I mean, in room service. 
Now, Elisha told the king, there will not be any rain except by my word. The Lord has given me the power to say no rain. Now, they're an agricultural society. God's like trying to give a little bit of what we call a wake-up call to Israel, to their wickedness. And so, it happened that after a while, the brook dries up. There's been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the city of the gate, behold, there was this widow, and she was gathering sticks. And he called her and he said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I might drink. And she was going to get it, and he called to her, Please also bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in a jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I might go in and prepare for me and my son that we could eat it and then we might die. This is how bad it's got. Then Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first. And bring it out to me, and afterward you may go and make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. And the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. So the Lord commanded this ahead of time. Now why? You know, why would the Lord do this? I mean, remember, the best commentary on the Old Testament is the New Testament. Let me show you a New Testament commentary on this. Luke chapter 4, verse 24. We come to the portion where Jesus goes into the public and begins to teach. And and so as he's teaching in verse 24, And he said, Truly I say to you that no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you, in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for about three years and six months, and when a great famine came over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian, was cleansed. Jesus is saying, the news was brought to the home base, to the children of Israel. Did they receive it? No. So what's the Lord do? goes, well, they're not listening. I'll try to get their attention. He made that drought last three and a half years. In fact, if you read on, you'll see that when the prophet finally does get in front of Ahab, he'll go, you troubler of Israel, you're a rotten guy. You brought all this on our heads. And the prophet's smart. He's like, I didn't do it. You did. Your wickedness did it. Don't you be trying to pin the blame on me for your sin. But that's how sinners feel. Like, it's the righteous person's fault because they told us God doesn't like what we're doing. So let's blame them. Dude, wake up. It's not the righteous person doing the evil. It's you. If you're doing wickedly, God might be trying to tell you, stop it. 
And if you don't want to listen, you don't get to blame the righteous because you keep sinning. You just get to get ready to take your lumps because the Bible says whatever you sow, that's what you'll reap. So the Lord has this widow all the way over in another land. And by the way, just to show how much the extent of this rain drought was, it spread all the way over to Zarephath. She's in Sidon. She's starving too. Have any of you ever been on hard times like where you, you're like, I have nothing to eat. I got one little last thing to eat. Now see, I like this story because I also know the story of what happens in the very next passage of Kings. The little boy dies. Here you come and you save us from the harshness of the drought. You do this miracles of making the bread every day for us, only to have my boy die. My sin is caught up with me. And she's like, I wish you wouldn't have come to see me, man of God. And he goes, hang on. And he goes, takes the boy upstairs. And he laid the boy down. And he spread himself on the boy. He put his body right touching him and said, God, I pray you put life back in this boy. Do you guys know he did it three times? And then the boy's life, the Lord put it back in the boy. And he brought him down and said, here's your son. And then the Lord brought the rain. Just a little. Now, did David know these stories when he's writing this psalm, Psalm 68? Did he know about the stories about the widows and God taking care of the widow? Sure. And God takes care of us. Well, it's funny to me. The widow, she says something peculiar. Can I show you something? She, at the end of chapter 17, Elijah took the child in verse 23 down from the upper room in the house. And he gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God. And that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. She didn't say, I know you're the man of God when he made the flour multiply and the oil multiply and keep him going all these many days through the drought. She didn't say, yeah, now I know. She knew he was the man of God when the power over death, the resurrection, she witnessed a resurrection from the dead and she went, now I know you're a man of God. Funny, Jesus, does he multiply food? When he's on the earth, he took the bread, the loaves, and the fishes, and feeds them. They're like, well, he's a really good teacher, and he feeds us lunch, so he's pretty good. They like him, right? But then there's this fellow, Lazarus. And Lazarus dies. And Jesus was close to Lazarus, and Mary and Martha, that was his sisters. Jesus had got word, hey, Lazarus is sick. We got to get to him. By then, Jesus had done all these miracles of healing. So they're like, we just got to get Jesus over to see Lazarus because we heard he's really in a bad way. And Jesus says, well, let's wait a little longer. And you know what he did, right? He stalls. He stalls so long that Lazarus dies and they put him in the grave. He's been in the grave four days. And as Jesus finally does come to town, Mary and Martha, they actually run out of town to meet him on the road. And when the first sister gets there, Lord, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. You do miracles. You could have kept him alive and made him well. He told his disciples, guys, it's for your sake that we don't go right now. It's for your sake. I need you to learn something. What did he want them to learn that they didn't know? Not that he could just heal sick. Not that he could multiply loaves. But that he could raise the dead. Just like Elijah, the woman didn't recognize that he was really a man of God until she saw the power of the resurrection demonstrated. 
right now their thinking was, he's a great teacher, he does some cool miracles, he feeds us lunch all the time, multiplies the food. They were liking him. And every kind of sickness he can handle. But what they didn't perceive was that he had power not over just sickness. He had power over death. So he said, it's to your advantage that we're not there. But let's go. I want you to see something. And then he goes to the tomb and he says, roll away the stone. They're like, oh, Lord, it's been four days. You're going to stink by now. He's just roll it away. Lazarus, he says, come forth. And here comes Lazarus. Bound. You know, they wrap him like a mummy with the spices and the cloth all wrapped up. He's like hopping out. Jesus, unbind him. And give him something to eat. And then it says that the crowds began to throng to meet this man. They got to see the guy who raised the dead. And it says they didn't only come to see Jesus. They came to see Lazarus also. There's something about us. We are wired where that power of resurrection resonates with our soul. Our soul says, if we're going to follow a God, we want him to be able to handle the greatest enemy we have. And that greatest enemy is death. And the Bible tells us, oh, death, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? It's been defeated in Christ. So in Psalm 68, I think the widow provision thing is very important that we understand our God is a champion for the widows. I mean, sometimes when I hear these stories and I see what the Lord did for a widow and her son, and I see how he multiplied the fish and the loaves to feed all the people, my faith is encouraged. You know, I ask you guys, do you think God really does those things? Can he really fly in meat and bread every day, morning and night for a prophet? I mean, can God take care of us if we need something? And the answer is yes. And the answer is he still does. We just have to just seek him. God is really good at his job. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona. Lord's been good to Abraham, Lord's been good to me. Lord blessed him and blessed all the family, and he's going to do the same for me.
the same for me. 